Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Platform Enterprise, the podcast branch of Platform, media for people who are pissed off with capitalism. I'm your host, Rachel Donald, and I'm a journalist working at the intersection of media and activism. You can find my most recent work over at www.platformenterprise.com, where you can also subscribe to get my newsletter and this podcast delivered to your inbox every week. On this week's show is the acclaimed poet Joelle Taylor. Joelle is actually credited with bringing slam to the UK and so much of her work and this conversation has been about platforming working class voices and tearing down that ivory tower to build bridges between people. Joelle is phenomenal and hilarious and I know you're going to really, really enjoy listening to her. So, Before you go, please give the show a five-star rating and leave a comment if you're feeling generous. I would also highly recommend picking up a copy of her book, which just launched this week. Woo! Congratulations, Joelle. Canto and Othered Poems, published by Westbourne Press, is available. So go up and pick a copy. So go and pick a copy up on their website, or you can check out their Instagram to win a limited edition. Finally, you can watch this episode with Joelle over on Satellite. Follow the links at www.platformenterprise.com. All right, without further ado, here is the formidable Joelle Taylor. Joelle, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Rachel. (laughs) So when we started our conversation with Alice, which became two individual interviews, which I'm really, really pleased about, um, you started initially talking about how you got into SLAM, well, actually how you brought SLAM to the UK. And you were talking about how it's a um, kind of like a a working class art form. Am I right in? Yeah, absolutely. And this relates to the whole spoken word scene. So Mm. SLAM is, it's, it's it's the voices of the marginalized. It's a way of working class, black, other kind of marginalized writers taking, sidestepping the gatekeepers in literature. You own your Mm. own work, you go onto a stage, you create your own community. And slam is as much about the audience as it is about the poet on the stage and about the poem. So you get this incredible dynamic. And the early slam, ambassador slams um, in the early 2000s across London were like football matches because the audience comes prepared, absolutely prepared to show love. And I, as a host, would encourage them, you know, that's where you get the whole clicking fingers thing in slam. Mm. Not from me, by the way, I didn't invent that. <laughs> I just use these, these methods, shouting, having uh, banners up, letting off um, streamers, that kind of thing. There's a real sense of the community coming toward the poetry or toward the child, toward the poet. And then as soon as they began to speak, there's absolute silence. And that's a rare thing for people who are never, you know, the center of the narrative or always the margins of the page. Slam puts the margins into the center of the page, you know, um, which mm. I think had a huge effect on the cultural life of um, of this of the world, but particularly this country at that time. Wow, what an amazing sentiment! Taking people from the margins and in, into center stage, under the spotlight, and giving them the space and giving them the audience. Yeah. And the and the really interesting thing is, is of course, this, you mentioned spotlights. So the spotlights trained on that particular poet, but that's not really where the spotlight is. Mm. It's backstage. 
we couldn't have predicted it that these kids who were all very <laughs> committed to the postcode wars of that time there was um you know a lot of kind of gang stuff happening around london what still is um uh, and these people who were sworn enemies on the streets were comforting each other backstage mm. when you stripped away the economy of the streets and just put someone in a little blank green room where they can hear people shouting on stage or shouting at the people on stage, that sense of, even though they can hear roars and applause, you know, it, it's it was an arena. It was kind of gladiatorial and they were mm. all set in um, City Hall. So we wanted to set them where all the, the political decisions were being made in London. And it's a kind of, almost glass amphitheater and the with with um bulletproof glass surrounding the stage area so that it was kind of really gladiatorial and it, looking back there was something very initiation like about that process for kids who were you know having real difficulties at school failing in traditional education but for some reason either they or their teachers had spotted something in them this kid that people were terrified of had spotted something in them and thought right let's see if they want to do this if they want to rap on stage with no music so that people actually wow. listen to them and it had yeah it's a most incredible powerful impact on the communities and on poetry and that's when the spoken word scene i think i spoke last time about one of the side effects of doing this is that i sent spoken word artists, rappers, etc., into schools, including myself, to do these two-day workshops. So loads of kids started to get interested in spoken word because they were empowered not just to watch the stuff. It, they were doing it very mm. quickly. After, after two days, we filmed everybody. It's a very quick course in confidence, finding your voice <laughs> and self-confidence. Again, there's some kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm, there's something gladiatorial about everything I do. I think it, <laughs> that sense coming from the working class is that sense of, of challenge and me knowing what it did to me how it transformed my life two minutes transformed mm -hmm. my life and, and to be honest it was the longest my first gig two minutes that was the longest of my entire life those two minutes went very slowly um but I came out the other end um with a purpose yeah and people looking at me slightly differently yeah. you know so that's the power of slam and the failure of slam is when people forget the backstage, they forget the audience, they forget that it is, it's about community and the poem is created by all the people in that building at that time and start to look at who the star is. So that's one of the reasons. This is, I, I, I want to get into that with you and also to, to reflect on that in accordance with the history of slam mm. that you mentioned last time because I think when, pe when people think about spoken word nowadays, it seems to have just kind of sp sprung out of the zeitgeist in like five years. We know that's not true. Yeah. Um, and it's really, uh, God, you know, the brand that's coming to mind is like BuzzFeed. When BuzzFeed puts up the videos yeah. and it's a lot of white college students, you know, on stage doing their spoken word pieces. Mm. Now, when you were first organizing SLAM in London, they were writing things about you in newsletters that the streets would be safe for one night because you were getting all of the, you know, problem yeah. kids off the street. So can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I think the, the so this is another reason why I say that SLAM has not been a, a, as successful as it's been in other countries here in the UK. It's the class system. 
We have, um, you know, and obviously a part of the class system is is um, racist as well. Mm. Um, so the initial responses, and remember this was all being administered by the Poetry Society, one of the most prestigious and longest running po um, poetry and literature organisations in the world. And they're wonderful people, but they've got, you know, the reputation of, re because poetry is class-based, you can't talk about mm. poetry without talking about class. The reputation of kind of representing the more upper middle class white kind of demographic, you know, it's not actually true, but that's the reputation. Yeah. Um, so they tried really hard to explain to people what SLAM was and how, um, uh, you know, um, to, to explode some of the myths, you know. I mean, I could talk a long time about, I don't want to give people's names out, but one young black poet, poet who won um, the London Wide Slam Championship, is now a famous poet. Um, they uh, were asked to go on Blue Peter. Mm. And I was like, this is absolutely brilliant, yes. And it was all going ahead until the last minute when it came about that they simply assumed that they could rap. And this, this is a poet, not a rapper, but they'd made an association based on slam and based on skin color that oh, or race that this is what it meant and of course it doesn't slam is all kinds of things it's rap it's mc yeah. and it's poetry it's spoken word it's monologue yeah. it's you know three minutes in front of an audience that's essentially what it is so there were a lot of problems faced um and also um the class system in this country and it's not me who raised this this is dan s smith from the states who's a big slam uh, champion and also um a prize-winning poetry collection writer as well um they said like essentially we have a system where we don't value what we believe to be working class so the fact that spoken word venues were about 10 years ago started packing out i run outspoken with anthony nexa guru karim kamar at um, the South Bank Centre, and that's the 300 seats we fill. We sell out every single month. You know, they've got big, big events, but still this idea that it's not real literature, it's not real poetry, yeah? <laughs> and this is about the class system, it's about accessibility to poetry. I mean, I've yeah. been on panels literally ex talking about whether people like me should have access to poetry. That's essentially what they're saying. You know, God. is poetry poetry if we can all really understand it straight away oh my god i mean there is I mean, they're, they're they're a diminishing crew you know yeah because what's happened is people like anthony and Aksaguru um have kind of and raymond antrobus have all risen from the live poetry scene and are dominating <clears throat> in terms of their published works as well kyle chingoni is another one jay bernard they're really transgressing these barriers you yeah. know winning the major literary prizes and they can they're wonderful performers though they wouldn't probably describe themselves as such now <laughs> yeah so i mean the whole idea of slam is socio-political it is not about who is the best you know a star the star system is a what is, is a wonderful idea but it's used as a prop for neoliberalism when we separate people out and say that this is the star, that means everybody else around them isn't. 
you mm. know we make naughty kid a prefect it's the you know you do that in school we do it in life as well and I think it's entirely capitalist that we have this kind of idea of star authors and often things are based on uh, these days on views can you imagine how weird that was for someone like me mm. like when you've had a career pre-internet and then suddenly <laughs> social media start yeah when you're like about 40 and then you're suddenly like wow people are getting publishing deals on the strength of their Twitter followers. Yeah. What, you know, and if you're not yeah. part of the internet generation, you just kind of go, well, yeah. what about their poetry, man? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But even as somebody who is part of, I sent, um, I wrote a book last year, right? Yeah. And it's um, 40,000 words of prose poetry. Oh, it wow. was the most horrific labor. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm, it's the thing I'm most proud of in my life. And um, I sent it away, you know, to, to agents and to publishers. And in so many of the um, submission guidelines, you know, I was like, and tell us about, you know, your following. Yeah. Essentially, tell us about your social capital. This has nothing exactly. to do with my social capital. There you go. I, like, <laughs> you know, the literature isn't just like I understand that it's a business model in a capitalist system. So like the idea is to eventually make a profit. But also, how are these new writers going to come through in today's world? And furthermore, how are different types of writers yes. going to come through? Like if mm. it's just everybody, that, that some kind of like Twitter or TikTok or influencer or whatever, then you're going to have a very homogenous group of people carving okay. out that's exactly exactly <laughs> it Rachel and uh, so I mean I was a slum ambassador 18 years roughly as the artistic director and then I left and now I'm taking over as uh, a, a commissioning editor or editor of outspoken press which is actually mm. my publisher um and Anthony an ex-guru the publisher just sort of said to me right well take over for two years because I wanted a project where I I remembered the old days of these supportive publishing houses that would focus, say, on women or lesbians or another kind of group. Um, and so a really odd thing happened. So you be became, you're working class, you're made an editor. Suddenly you get a sense of prestige and value. Start wearing tweeds, doing the whole thing. <laughs> and then I asked for books, women to send me books. And I got 97 manuscripts and I could have published at least half of them. But as I'm mm -hmm. reading them, I realized that I hadn't really left Slambassadors because I'd created that project. So really, in a sense, Slambassadors is my persona, my, my, my spirit or whatever, you know. <laughs> but, um, and so what I really wanted to do is develop writers. Because yeah. if you put a shout out for working class writers, you might get some, but a lot of the work would be stuff that just doesn't work very well on the page. Mm. Or they've gone to university, they've done the creative writing courses, and they are developing this voice, which is quite, is, is interesting, but is, is not giving us anything new. Do you see right. what I mean? It's still, yeah. I mean, so I decided then, I'd try and develop. Well, exactly. How can you expect anyone to deliver anything new when when new isn't what sells and exactly. new isn't what gets you noticed. It's even in the like submission guidelines when they're like, um, tell me uh, which one of my current clients your book is yeah. like. And it's like, nothing, no, like it's not. That was the whole point. <laughs> and which you know? is it, it's not just about developing writers, it's about developing publishers. And we know that oh the my God. industry, whilst it seems to me to be really staffed by women, 
women have mm. very little kind of power within that system yeah okay yeah 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 yeah. they are are tending to be white middle class women um there seems to be an (laughs) overrepresentation from oxbridge they're also amazing i've got an agent by the way and she's banging um (laughs) but but there this is the demographic and maybe part of what independent presses need to suggest to the wider publishing world is that they do some development courses for agents as well, just to look at different materials. I'm, I'm being careful what I'm saying here because I don't want to insult people who do amazing work, and they mm. all really do. But, like, I need to know, I you know, my level of knowledge kind of is surrounds, it's about my environment and myself. If I mm. want to learn about something else, I need to go and seek it out. I won't mm. magically know who is writing the best, you know, um, fiction in South Africa etc you've got to constantly develop yourself and I think because agents have such a key role in selling the work representing the work talking to other agents i.e being able to affect some kind of cultural shift between them that we need to sort of try and link together and so because you know say what can we do now to broaden it these schemes for black writers are brilliant but will it be there next year yeah how do we make this core rather than you know we're gonna do this scheme yeah and even then now I'm not um a person of color so somebody might want to correct me on this but how do we give um marginalized writers also the freedom to write about what they want and Mm. not just for example their marginalization because yeah. that's something that I really feel kind of coming through is like, yeah, people, okay, yes, we want women writers and we want people of color and we want, you know, mm. um, handy capable and all this stuff. And it's like, do you want them to write about their trauma? Yeah. Because that sells? Like, is that what yeah. you're after? Like, Because that, that's it's, what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, I, so that is a very real thing. I, I experienced some of that myself in a, in a different way because I was well known for a couple of poems about um council estates and about sort of growing up working class and about gang culture Mm. that there was a need for me to write about that in my prose and I was like it's two poems it's not actually what I write but even more there's been Mm. a good shift happening really interesting um and I hope he won't there is a very famous um writer very well known for writing about gang culture it's a black male writer um, oh, I'll just say it's Courtier Newland, who's an absolutely brilliant writer. And I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, and I know him as well. And I know that he's felt a pull towards speculative fiction for a long, long time, you know, over a decade. But the demand for his work was always in the sphere of what made him famous in the first place, which is a book called The Scholar. Right. But he has just released his first major speculative fiction novel called a river called time um which i've just started and you know that is such a huge cultural shift for writers black black writers you know i mean i know it's past part of kind of afrofuturism so you had to develop the sort of landscape to allow these things to happen but i think with courtier's book coming out that opens things up again selena godden who is a Again, a really good friend and a spoken, um, major spoken word artist has just released Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, which again, mm. is kind of magical speculative fiction and goes against what you would think that she should write about, you mm. know, um, 
as a spoken word artist, as a mm. as a um, a mixed race woman, it's um. So things are changing. There is a need. There are some really great agencies at the moment. Like there's one I think called Own It, who do remarkable work. Um, and the more of that there is, it becomes it becomes the zeitgeist. It becomes funky to be representative to have different narratives for the love of god right <laughs> because and i think we should tie this back to to neoliberal and capitalism liberalism mm. wow neoliberalism and capitalism <laughs> as you were saying because um that's fantastic for selena and courtier and that's so important um to pave the way for for future young writers mm. but still it remains that it's like they need more social capital because of where they're coming from in order to have like the space, you know, to do that. Like when, um, and this is like a super mainstream, but really, really, I think important example, you know, when Beyonce started, like there's that SNL skit, like, oh my God, Beyonce's black. Like she's making music for black people. And it's like, she had to jump through a lot of white hoops to get there, Mm. you know? And does that actually reframe, you know, (sighs) how much of that, actually reframes the the narrative yeah. for young artists or well, does it, it con- the, the process dominates the content the form yeah. becomes the content that's exactly what we were saying about about the star system this whole mm. this whole idea um so yeah you can't it's so it's so evil genius isn't it because because it makes us all want to go through that system. You know right. you've made it. You know, as a writer yourself, you you could self-publish that piece of work. It doesn't have the sort of vanity press, doesn't have that shame anymore. But you know, yeah. as a writer, that what you really want and need is an agent because that will yeah. lead to other work and it will yeah. lead to you feeling valued, valued and valuable. Mm-hmm. Even though you know in your core that you don't stop being a writer at any point, no matter what happens, you are still an artist. They've got us all believing that we need this agent because then we need yep. a, a big publishing deal. And the bigger the yeah. deal, the better. Yeah. And it's not just about, it's not fame in the way that people necessarily think about it. As artists, we need people to know about us yeah. because that's how we sell our work. Yep. Yeah, so it's not in that in that respect. Um, to dismantle that whole system is a is a project. It's an ideology, yeah. you know. But part of what I, I wanted to do with that spoken press is begin that. Mm. Lisa Locks is one of the authors. I'm sure when you spoke to her, she mentioned this, but she would only be published by a, an economy of the sisterhood, as she calls it. <laughs> so she wanted only women to be in part of the process. And then out of the blue, I did this. <laughs> I'm thinking about continuing it. The more I yeah. think about it, um, obviously, Outspoken Press will probably go to another editor after me for a different kind of flavoured tenureship. Um, but it's definitely something that I think is worth maybe forming something that's a publishing house, an agency, a sort of centre that we can run in the old way. See, I miss the old cooperatives. I mean, yeah. there were a lot of arguments and it was basically just a bitch fest. But, it, <laughs> but the sense of self-belief and ownership is so valuable yeah. to what we all do. We yeah. should, No, Rachel, we should just go and squat somewhere and set up. <laughs> Except I need like a hot bath these days. I need a <laughs> 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 oh, 
<laughs> you know, the uh, actually the original idea for for platform enterprise was a publishing house. Right. Um, that was meant to put um ownership, living wage, and royalties back in the hands of authors, and to combat the monopolies of you know Amazon and online sellers. I'm very, very, very worried about this feedback loop of um you know amazon rating and amazon algorithms and other online selling algorithms that are just going to create this very um what's the fancy word i'm looking for mimic imitative mm. um simulacra simulacrum you know yeah <laughs> just that there's it, it, it no literature yeah, there's no, there's no uh, literature, and it, well, of course, there's literature, but like, it's really, really hard to access, and it's not what's yeah. being pushed forward, and it's these formulaic pieces of entertainment, essentially, that don't do anything to to make the world a better place, which I know is a lofty thing to aim at, but generally, that's kind of what art does, art with a capital yeah. A. Yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> that sounds fantastic. It really something you should pursue one hundred percent. And the more yeah. of us do these things, the the um, the more headway we can make. Although it does feel like you're sinking because it's like we spoken word. When I started, six people in a boiled suite would come and see you. We were all attached in some way to live music. So you had yeah. a, certainly in the punk movement, you'd have a poet, a performance poet before. Mm. They were all men though, all men apart from Jules mm. Demby, um, who I fashioned myself after <laughs> but, um you know um so th that thing happens where you work, work a long time and you seed a scene through the schools and and through kind of um just through persistence and then finally we get a lot of people here at which point um capitalism neoliberalism comes very interested and takes over yeah, and, and so gentrification yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, and you were like that thing of the star. That's the method of co-opting it. Yeah, that's the method of seeding out, you know, the zero point zero zero one percent and shining all of the attention over there, which essentially slows the movement down so 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 much with mm. the weight of so many souls scrambling for yeah. their three minutes, which they deserve. Yeah, because of course they're an artist if they feel that desire to get up and speak. Yeah, and if you're, and, if you're working at it, that's what you are. You know, yeah. it's not a big philosophical question, is it? You know, no. you're still a carpenter if no one sees you make the chair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That tree that fell in the forest still is tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's what you were saying at the beginning about it being backstage. Like, that's where mm. the community evolved and that's where people found togetherness and that that's what slam was at that time and what it still should be yeah and i mean and i mean i'm talking very negatively about about what happened with slam in this country partly because i i travel the world and i feature at different slams and i see what they've done so right. us is a hyper hyper capitalist model but we are jealous obviously if you can pick three grand up a gig if you can fill these you know huge stages that's wonderful, but it is creating over there a kind of uh, the slam style, a way of doing something because it's the most effective way mm. of using those three minutes. Really, it, it kind of pairs away diversity in a sense, which yeah. was the whole reason it was set up. Um, yeah, but the slams are, do still happen here. I mean, like Hammer and Tongue do some great adult slam stuff and they 
you know, I've featured at a couple of them and the audience is still, you know, really there. But Youth Slam did something extraordinary. I guess because as kind of difficult as their lives were, they're still kids, so they still believe. And if you tell them, that they have some control and show them how and mm. and make them want to come back. You know what makes kids come back to workshops? The other kids in the room. Yeah. You've just got to make people like each other and they will come week after week and quite by accident learn all about imagery and associative poetry <laughs> and metaphor. You know, that's the background noise to them just being, I belong. And that's the very first stage of becoming an artist, belonging. I know, mm. as a writer yourself, You've spent most of your life alone, your life as as the real you. And you really, as writers, we really need that connection, you know, yeah. to get our work going. I've been writing a novel now for this one, three years, just over three years. Yeah. It, should, it should, it really, it's, it's awful. It's yeah. a terrible book now. Yeah. I've changed so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but novel writing is... it. it I, it is the hardest undertaking, and like I don't think people get it because it's one it's thought of th three to five years. You keep one thought mm -mm. in your brain, and it's and, no, yeah. and then you change it, and it's done now, and you can't yeah. go back. Yeah, there are no bones that with which you can recover the body of what it once was. <laughs> like it's just it's it's all mixed up. It's fossils, you know. Yeah, next have project. you ever? Have you ever spent years on something and then just took the wrong path at the last minute and felt trapped down there? So people who are listening... A relationship? Are... <laughs> <laughs> Work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, it, it's, you know, like, I, I did that recently with The Night Alphabet. I just, I, I realised that I'd gone down a path that was impossible for me to get out of without yeah. getting, the path getting darker and darker and darker, yeah. being more and more lost. And I was down there for weeks. And then suddenly I realised mm -hmm. that I was a writer and I could just change it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, I just don't do that then. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But that's, that's, that's the extent of art and how much belief we have to put into what we do, you know. Of course, especially as a, no, I'm not going to say especially as a writer because I don't do any other art forms and that's not fair. But you are locked away in your damn attic with a pen and a piece of paper. Like nobody's around cheerleading you. Nobody's there saying, oh, nobody can just walk in and be like, oh, yes, this has really progressed uh, in the last, yeah. you know, three hours. No, 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 no. <laughs> you are on your own until you feel like you have something good enough to send to an editor who is normally a good pal, who is just yeah. extremely, like, sympathetic, you know. Like, yeah. a very isolating art form. Oh, like, my you favorite, don't believe. My favorite bit of So I, I obviously live for the live performance. I love touring. I love international touring. And I love um, just the actual physical act of performing and meeting people. But to progress, I want to write novels and books. And yeah. I've just finished my latest poetry collection. I sent it off for review. And there's this weird period of time where nothing happens. Like... <laughs> I'm just empty. I'm just waiting. Yeah. I'm just literally sat in this chair and I'll be here yeah. for about three months now. I'm just waiting to see if anybody replies at all. Yeah. Or... <laughs> yeah. But this is it this... good? I've got no idea. 
But no you logic. should. And this is this is neoliberal capitalism again, like this validation of it. And like also, why is it not normal to be empty after you finish a work? You know, who is that guy? Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. Listen, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. It's like totally zeitgeisty. But when he was like, you finish one thing and you start you start your next project the next day. I was like, bitch, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> My next project is lying down. <laughs> <laughs> like, at what po- if I just keep writing, this is for me anyway. If I just write every day, I'm only ever going to be writing myself. Like, I need to go out and I need to absorb other That's things. A very good point. Research is, is core to to fiction writing, obviously, to kind of more factual writing, but to fiction. In poetry, sometimes, like, because I've written two books, which were um, certainly Songs My Enemy Taught Me was very, very research-based about women's experiences globally. And, and I led 18 masterclasses with different groups. Wow. Women marginalized in the world. So women, you know, who'd suffered FGM, women in prison, refugees. Wow. And that research process is absolutely core cool to it. Poetry, less so. So you can kind of... Hmm, I'm not saying it's good poetry, but you can mm-hmm. kind of um, get in a zone because you're because you can skip around an idea from different angles really quickly. In a short Mm. story, for example, you could do that, but it would take so much brain power. You know, the focus, I've tried to write a story from four different perspectives, you know, and I lost interest after three. I was just like, (laughs) who cares? Yes, it's clever. You know, (laughs) but let's face it, nobody cares. (laughs) I do think there should be more outlets for novelists, um, and for poets who, who um, you know, dominate the page, I know there's a lot of poetry reading events. I've, I've done quite a few of them. Um, but maybe novelists, people who are, um, you know, locked away more, maybe book slams. You know, they do have a, an event mm. called Book Slam, but it's for published books. It would be cool to have a book slam that isn't for published books. With um, yeah, <laughs> oh, gladiatorial again, and the audience could be agents. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately went there too. They hold up scorecards. I thought I went from like egalitarian to fascist really quickly there, didn't I? <laughs> but I mean, I think creating the community where where we can connect and share work because it's the most terrifying thing in the world. You know, totally. I set up an online. Uh, feedback groups called The Circle if you want to join it. You can find it on Twitter and it's women and non-binary writers, professional writers um, who share work with each other every week um, and and give each other honest feedback. And the, my idea was don't say anything good about the piece first. We'll assume huh. that we're all professional writers. Yeah. What we have to figure out as a group is how we make this piece stronger and of course Mm -hmm. being a bunch of women everyone's like yeah we'll do that and the first few kind of feedback sessions we were like we stuck to it but now it's just like oh my god you're amazing yeah (laughs) (laughs) also have you thought about doing um and then i haven't been i've haven't been active in the group for a couple of months um because i'm too i'm too scared to share my own work i'll go on stage where i can control it yeah, I get really, really nervous. It's a, it's a kind of really scary thing to me. After twenty years on the stage, yeah, after because I control that, 
and I and, and when you perform a piece, you there is there is a greater sense of physical ownership, obviously. Ooh, yeah. But yeah. but I I you know I think like page poets novelists have an extraordinary courage, you know. You know, Alice, patience. <laughs> patience. Alice and I were kind of talking about this actually about how when you perform, you always like stay in communion with your piece. But when you put it out onto the page, I think the phrase I used was like kicking out of the nest. You know, it's got to go and build its own relationships with the readers and you have no control over that. It's going to be whatever it needs to be to that person and someone may love it and someone may hate it. Um, so yeah, I actually, I get that. It's it's different. It's naked. It's Even yeah. though you can totally hide behind poetry in its absurdity. Um, you know, it's, how do I put this? It's a part of you, but it's not you. It's the rib that became Eve. Oh, you know? that's good. Oh, take a note. Take a note. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think like when you come from the live environment, you get instant feedback. As you grow older and understand more and become a better writer, you understand that a lot of the feedback is about how you say the words the performance mm. the delivery of it um but then what's happened with me is the words are slowly taking over the work is becoming less performative because mm. i'm allowing the, the work to take over but i still on that stage have ultimate control like i have literally followed people to the toilets you know i can stand next to them if somebody doesn't clap <laughs> i had a I, I did an event and these two <laughs> these two women i don't know what i'd done to annoy them but they sat at the front with their arms crossed um, whenever, like, very deliberately did that. Yeah. When everybody else clapped, I got a standing ovation. They were clearly dis disproving, you know. But you can just do it right back at them, right in their face. You can't do yeah. that to your readers. But I was like, eh, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, there is a, a greater sense of physical ownership. But also, you feel physically, Rachel, we're what, 75%. 80% water and we know that when we have a sound water ripples and it makes shapes so while enduring a live performance I'm getting all kinds of ripples that <laughs> sounds really creepy. yeah I mean, you know my body is literally physically organically responding to this moment you know I'm changing shape inside and, and the same is happening to the audience as I speak. The words and the sounds they make are affecting mm. them physically. And that creates this extraordinary bond, which we're social animals. We say it all the time, but I think we've bloody forgotten what that means. And it doesn't mean all going out to a club necessarily. It means, <laughs> but it means that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it means this. It means that we are actually connected and and in live performance intimate live performance you can really feel that you know and slam yes. capitalizes on that feeling yes i never thought about the the water thing that's it's really quite something yeah hmm okay so why okay this is a question i wanted to ask you when we were talking about capitalism just before and it's just come to mind um slam 
is I think it still exists still in a in a different category to like you know poetry with the yeah. with a capital P in a cursive font um and I wonder do you think that slam or spoken word should be studied you know at university like would it would that help kind of well yes absolutely um and and there is moves toward that um i've been i've tutored a course at um university of east london i've done uh visiting lecture at goldsmith university and at guild hall um pete oh god i nearly called him pete the temp which is his real his stage name pete bearder <laughs> published an extraordinary book called Stage Invasion, um, which is the history of UK spoken word. And it's um, mm. it's qualitative, it's quantitative. It's an absolutely brilliant research document, which, you know, goes a long way to discussing what it means. And and then there's Dr. Katie Ailis, who's a, a Scottish, um, well, she's not Scottish, she lives in Scotland. Um, <laughs> she's an American poet living in Scotland, part of Loud Poets, and she wrote an extraordinary doctorate thesis on the power of slam and spoken word and its transformative oh, awesome. effect. So moves are afoot. People are, and one of the things I, I was talking about this with Raymond Antrobus, like one of the problems is, um, you know, we're a very supportive community. We need to continue being that. That's the core of us. But we also need to be a little bit challenging as well, like the circle group. A little mm. bit like that was amazing. It really moved me. Oh, my God, I'm crying. Can I read it? Mm. Ah, yeah. Do you know what? What do you think about this bit here? What do you mean? Mm. And just to help each other create better art. There mm. isn't, a, there isn't, we don't have a tradition of negative criticism that, you know, literature and cursive font poetry have, <laughs> you know, like some of it can be very brutal as you, as you've mm. probably seen. <clears throat> we don't have that tradition. There have been attempts to kind of review poetry, but we're always really, really, really nice and positive. Um, mm. I think we need to, but then we go back to what you were talking about in the neoliberalism about this process and structure. You know, do we really want to develop a system of criticism within our scene? Yeah. What will that do to it? When I talked about the gentrification of the scene, I meant that suddenly um, non-marginalized people, middle-class white people, started to see that our theatres were filling up. It was zeitgeist, it was funky, we're getting TV contracts, some people mm. went viral. Um, and so they came in with their very, very good educations and their extensive vocabularies and their natural self-confidence, learned from a very early age and wiped the stages clean, you know? That's what gentrification <sighs> does. And they don't mean to, but they don't see that we had a thing we have all right. a thing. All right, but how do we how do we build a bridge that supports the weight of everybody rather than just a new group moving on and shunting the others off? Because yeah, well, when we just just because when I think about, you know, like middle class, like I, you know, I come from a middle class. Um grew up in a very working class area, but I was not a part of that that community. Um and when I think about what it means to be middle class now, like young middle class, you know, the, the middle class is getting squeezed. The middle class is shrinking. We're all kind yeah, of, yeah, you yeah. know, moving down. And this seems to be like a fantastic opportunity, yeah. you know, to, to 
unionize essentially like i was saying to um yeah friend, i mean i hadn't thought of that at all that's a really interesting point of view i mean for me the gentr- I, I'm reactionary towards gentrification on the state well every anywhere yeah but of course because i saw kids who were on blue peter like uh, one of yeah i would say one of my kids who took his own life eventually <gasps> was on tv was doing all the gigs but then suddenly is is moved slowly off the stage oh. like pennies you know in that arcade game yeah yeah um you know but i hadn't thought about what was happening to the middle classes for to mean that we could actually yeah we need a bridge we do absolutely we need a bridge because between... this is this is the opportunity because you know l- listen people don't generally tend to want to dismantle the oppression from which they profit all right and like it's it's a fallible it's a fallible weakness. It's just part of that scummy bit that makes us human. Like whatever you know, but now things aren't working out for the vast majority of people. You know, we're poorer than our parents. We're not going to be able to own homes. The planet's on fire. Like we're in thousands of th- tens of thousands of pounds of debt for a shitty education that doesn't even get us an entry level job. You know, like people are pissed. This is surely the moment now to be like, okay, well, screw working in middle class just be like disadvantaged we're all disadvantaged right now so what are we going to do to help each other what are we going to do to push forward and there's still obviously absolutely individual um disadvantagedness in that of course there's layers and there's levels but i personally you know like as a white middle class person now i don't see the 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 people that went to my private school as my comrades you know that are now working for investment banks or whatever and and following yeah. their parents I like, mean they're not it's interesting. I feel like I I'm on the side a, of other people I did a talk like I said with Tommy Sissons at Goldsmiths last night about class working class writers and art yeah you know um and neither of us raised this at all neither of us thought about this that actually yes maybe there is a need for a new distinction it's just I we I resist getting rid of this working class um middle class upper class even though they're not entirely relevant anymore it's an archaic model um i resist it just because because of john major's classless society and the the language of the right which is constantly disempowering these communities but maybe you're Mm. right it is time for yeah for the majority to come together the disadvantaged and you're yeah we're all disadvantaged to some degree under this system and you know it's a it's an opportunity for us artistically to learn and develop from one another so whilst I gave a kind of very angry view of the scene a minute ago there was there has been great stuff which has me- meant that we have watched some of the best page poets on our stages and been inspired and learned from them mm. and bought their mm. books and mm. studied it and start mm. getting better ourselves equally mm. A poet who would normally stand in front of 10 people and mutter from their book has watched a stage show and thought, oh, God, if I just learn them and I stand up straight and I rehearse, it's about rehearsing. All right. Yeah. And so we're learning these techniques from each other and the craft as itself then grows. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a core of all of this is, as we said, neoliberalism or, you know, just this... Well, I, th- I think of as 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 right wing culturally right wing attempts to control all of us right down to who's got the most instagram followers or views with video capital, every capital, little bit capital. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to say there's a, a brilliant um, sort of spoken word piece written by Disraeli. I don't know if you know him. He was mm. um, the front man of Disraeli and the Small Gods. He's um, a UK former UK Sun champion. He's just a brilliant thinker and writer and musician. And he wrote a piece in response to um, Ozymandias. You know the Ozymandias. Do you know that poem? Look on my might. Look on my mighty works and despair, or something. And Ozymandias <laughs> is a <laughs> it's a poem. It's a Shelley poem about um, Ozymandias, who was kind of a big um, pharaoh of Egypt and had huge monuments made of him. And of course, a couple of thousand years later, they're walking across the desert and they come across these huge monuments to the poem is about is a metaphor for all you people who think this is so big so mighty it disappears like that mm. um, and that's what it's about and Disraeli wrote about the fact that our Ozymandias now is online it's digital and all this investment we're giving in views and follows and you know these kind of insta lives uh, just mm. add water with all of that um it can disappear overnight. I mean, we are, um, as artists of all different kinds, I've seen the most extraordinary things attempted on Zoom. You know, mm. people yeah. doing dance rehearsals together. Yeah. They've gone like, yeah, well, it's Star Trek. Let's just use Zoom for everything. Yeah. Um, and people have done collaborative work. I've had some hilarious sessions where I've tried to do collaborative work. It's very difficult when everybody's Wi-Fi is a different speed to speak <laughs> at the same time. But people have done amazing things. Yeah, of course. And, of course. I, and and I would hope, you know, that we use this to obviously what's happening is they're just withdrawing all our funds as artists and it's getting more and more difficult to survive during this period. But we've also been roused as a as a country, as a world, we've been roused to see what we value the most. And I saw a meme like, How would you have coped in lockdown without Netflix, without Amazon, without a novel? you know, without watching a piece of theatre on Zoom mm. or whatever. Like, they need to start valuing us as core. It's not a thing we... It's not It's not like the school like school where you chose your important subjects and then ticked the art at the end or drama. You know, mm. this is core to us as human beings. It's how we communicate, develop, analyse, share, construct. We do it all by sharing different kinds of ideas, through different mediums, different kinds of art, you know. I don't think people think of music as art, generally. No. No. It is. I, <laughs> it's really funny that you, like, mentioned that because I read, um, I, okay, I skimmed. I skimmed an essay yesterday written by a professor at the University of York that was all about the philosophy of um, a philosopher I've never heard of before, Arno? Something Arno? Hmm. Um, and he emigrated to the US slash fled because of Nazi Germany and he was a trained musician he'd studied music um he was a pianist and he went and he experienced this like hyper capitalist and hyper consumer popular culture of the United States and he spent his career kind of deconstructing popular culture and talking about how dangerous it is for society because not only does it fail to provide the pleasure which it promises because it doesn't give you true aesthetic pleasure because it, it requires no energy no effort and it gives you nothing um, but it also fails society because it doesn't um, 
inspire change. It doesn't cause you to question morals or structure or it, it doesn't push society forward anymore. Mm. And we find ourselves at this juncture now where like, you know, Netflix share prices, Amazon Prime, you know, the share prices have have um, exploded during lockdown because people are looking to that entertainment. But as you say, you know, artists' funding is being cut. Mm. There is a difference between this popular culture and this art. Yeah. And what is going to happen? What is the world going to look like if we completely stop funding art and only give in to the guilty pleasures of entertainment? That's yeah. not dangerous. That's not the kind of art capital A that's dangerous that you were speaking about before we started recording. No. Exactly. That's the kind of shit that keeps you numb. Yeah, absolutely. It keeps you pacified, makes you believe that art is not participatory. You know, yes. you watch it in front of us. So that's why the clubs are so important and the spoken word clubs and the live venue clubs and the mm. live events because the people talk back at you. You can smell them. Yeah. You know, you are participating. You know, if you don't clap, that I'm going to see you. I can follow you. I'm follow you. Put <laughs> on your knee. Take selfies yeah. with you all night. You know that's going to happen. Whereas you can just be sitting in your little Y fronts. <laughs> what you know, when it, when it's on Zoom or whatever, there's no, uh, there's no sort of sense of the fact that you're vital to what's happening as an audience. Ooh. I think readers get that to some extent. When you fall in, you know, I'm having trouble reading at the moment. And I think part of the read reason, um, I've no problem reading short things like poetry, but following a novel, I've never struggled in my life. I've, I'm an avid reader. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's because right at the beginning of the pandemic, I overwhelmed myself with social media. And, you know, pithy news reports and takes from all over the world. And I've done something neurologically to myself. I have to retrain my brain to think, to focus yep. again. Yeah. You know? Yep. I, yeah. I, but that that's actually a thing. That they've, they've studied that. Like our, our really? attention spans, our synapse. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. We genuinely can, cannot focus for the same amount of time as generations that grew up without the internet. Wow. Like, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, it's it's genuinely done something to our synapses. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna have to. Well, you can't get rid of internet now. It's so cool as well. I mean, it's been a brilliant, useful device for all of us, um, but especially yeah. art. Art has continued throughout all of this. Obviously, yeah. it's been a, a great. <laughs> a lot of my writer friends. I don't know if you felt the same thing, Rachel, but like when lockdown happened, they were just like, "So basically, it's business as usual." Then <laughs> I literally just sit here. <laughs> Too scared to go out. <laughs> Fight for a bit of food. Same day. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I well, I only really started to feel the effect psychologically about this month because I was like, I, I would like to leave now. I would like to leave yeah. and I would like to go and see my pals, you know, in yeah. London and in Berlin and in Athens and like going, you know, see some exhibitions that I'm not cool enough to know where to go to, but my friends know. Yeah. Um, and I can't. And I'm like, how dare you impinge upon my liberty? <laughs> <laughs> my yearly one trip. Yes. <laughs> that I can afford. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, do you know, I, I even booked flights to Thailand. I bought, I spent £1,700 on flights to Thailand in December just so that <laughs> it was a reason for me not to die. Um <laughs> 
and they cancelled the bloody tickets. I was like, what? <laughs> no, there won't be a plane in a year's time. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, oh my God. Great That's amazing. Really great. Oh, this has been, this has been excellent. I have uh, two more questions, right? To wrap us up. Um, first of all, what do you think the literature world needs to do or writers, poets, what do we, what do we need to do to drive the necessary change in the, I don't know, kind of dismantle the literati a little bit? Okay, so, I mean, first of all, <clears throat> value the live event because it's where people come together and network. The audience come for each other as much as they're coming for the poets. So really value that. Look at who's on stage. Look at the effects. Because that's your community right there. Indie presses of both po all small independent presses, first of all. Look at this idea of a development program that I'm going to try to get for Outspoken Press. Where... We apply to the Arts Council or other funding bodies, depending on what kind of body you are, trusts, that sort of thing, if you're a charity, and um, apply for funding to develop writers, specific writers, mm. writers with ideas who've proven themselves because they write every day. Um, even that has its risks because then, again, you create a competitive market. If, you've only, if you yeah. can only develop 20 writers in a two-year process that's out of maybe 2,000 who apply. Um, mm. But you begin. So you begin with these small indie presses. We empower. How about this? We empower hobs of writers. You know, get together a hob. If you've got 10 writers in your area, then maybe you can get funded as an organized lit development organization to help you develop better as writers. We need these schemes. We need to, we need to make people agents. You know, yeah. we need to set up people who understand there's more than four stories in the world from, or, you yeah. know, that there are very many different dynamics and interests. We need, um, and set them up as agents, train them, set them up. We need to educate the big publishers who are listening. Everybody's listening. Um, but it's, it's about, like you say, pushing that actual change to happen, seeing it as serious. I want, you know, my fictional children to be able to read a thousand, thousand narratives yes. from different perspectives. I want them yeah. to pick up a book and disagree with every word of it. Yeah. You know, but at the moment we are censoring our fictional children. You know, we are censoring ourselves. Because yeah. What sells that same yeah. bloody love story? I mean, I do watch entertainment films because I know what's going to happen. It's really not, you know, when I'm eating my dinner, I like I like to pop yeah. on a program where I know within the first five minutes who's going to get off with who and how it's yeah. going to end, yeah. you know. And the best, but the best films are things like Three Billboards Out of Ebbing, Missouri, where you don't yeah. get that that gift yeah. of entertainment, that satisfaction. Yeah. You know, I think that's what we do. We challenge ourselves and, and it does take bravery from the audience and readership because you know. I have seen my own friends who refuse to go to poetry gigs. And when I beg them, because I'm doing a big event, they come, they sit there and they cry. And then they have the most amazing time. They drink, they listen to music, you know, there's a lot of music often involved in these environments. Um, but we are believing that, that it's hard. Real art is difficult. It's challenging. Oh, my God, it's going to be exhausting watching that play. 
because that's what we're told we're told all the time come and just have this candy floss instead so i think that's what yeah. we do we do we we create the community to see how successful it's been this self-organizing on the spoken word or live poetry scene and replicate it in our own hubs your idea your platform idea is perfect Mm. Then you know you apply for funding to the arts council, get people on board to partner with you, and you begin. Yeah. Every literature development organisation, like spread the word, started with one person, often an artist, outspoken itself. We're all writers and musicians. Yeah. You know, start from needing to support your own career, yeah. and very quickly seeing how you can help everybody else. Fantastic, and there's something I just want to add very quickly as a little appendix to that like see with the impending impending it's here the climate crisis and we're not going to be able to travel as much like that is just going to be sanctioned we're not going to have as easy access to other cultures literature film a diversity of narratives so that we can still experience people on the other side of the world that is where we're going to be able to continue evolving you know civilization or deconstructing what make yeah it's going to be more necessary than ever again. Yeah. And so we need to start investing in it now. Yeah. And the people, the executives, the people who are making the decisions, you know, because yeah. all of you decision makers listening, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> go get someone to shadow you straight away, please. You yeah. know, go to the ends, go to spaces. Don't just go to Oxford and Cambridge or one of the universities. You can do that too. But Go to places that are unexpected. Do what Murky Books did, you know. Challenge everything in in um, yeah. in in the way things are set up. Because you know as well as I do, it's gonna become funky, very. <laughs> but yeah, of course, <laughs> you're so shallow. But like, literally, you make a movement by making the movement. Mm, yeah, absolutely. God. This has been so great. Finally, who would you like to platform? Who would I like to platform? Um, yeah, someone I'm... I can get on the show. Ah, someone I can get on the show. You've had Lisa Lux, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Have you had Safia? Yes. Have you? I ha <laughs> Lisa, Safia, Alice, oh. you. Uh, me, <laughs> basically all of them. <laughs> yeah. Let's think somebody... Um... Uh, 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 actually, I know who might be really interesting for you. Bridget Minimal. Do you know Bridget Minimal? No. She's a poet, but she's also um, a broadcaster and she writes for The Guardian sometimes. Oh, okay. Um, she's published by Outspoken Press. She's a great kind of cultural commentator. So I think like she's a really interesting yeah. person to have on. Or... Um, Sarah Jane Lee. I, the reason I hesitate okay. is she's based out in um, in Singapore, so right. might be a bit difficult for you to <laughs> negotiate an interview with. Sarah Fletcher's got a new book coming out on Outspoken very soon, um, and she's a wonderful, um, kind of very surreal, disturbing writer, and I know Ooh. she'd give you a lot of really interesting things to think about. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, Joelle. This has been nothing short of inspiring. Thank you Thank so you. much for coming. <laughs> Brilliant. Hey, everyone. You can find Joelle on Twitter at jtaylortrash. And very importantly, you can pick up a copy of her latest collection, Kanto and Othered Poems, from any major bookseller. You can also find the link over at www.platformenterprise.com, where... 
If you're a person pissed off with capitalism, I highly recommend you subscribing to this podcast and my newsletter. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week.